everybody, and welcome to T2RL Talks number four. My name is Ian Tunnicliffe. I'm Editor-in-Chief at Travel Technology Research. And with me today, I have once again, Bert Craven, who is the head of the airline technology practice at T2RL. Hello. I have Jonathan Hutchinson, who's a senior consultant with T2RL. And a very special guest, we have Francois Vesser, who is working with T2RL as a consultant right now, but in a past life was head of development at Amadeus. So very well qualified panel. And we're going to talk today about the transition to offer, order, settle, deliver, the process by which we move to the new technologies and the new processes from the existing legacy world of airlines. If anybody would like to uh, interrupt me and, and join in here, I'll just set the scene a little bit. Airlines have been working with the same basic processes now for well over 50 years, since Sabre was first launched in the early 1960s to the present day. And whilst those processes have served us very well, they are beginning to be a constraint on airlines' ability to innovate and to do new things with their products and with their services and with their, with their distribution. So it's pretty well agreed, certainly by us, that we're going to move towards offer, order, settle, deliver. One of the problems in that is that 50 years of legacy that we have and the need for the whole industry to eventually move away from legacy to the new technologies, but also the inevitability that the whole industry is not going to move at the same time. So we're going to live through a period where both the old and the new have to live side by side. And I know that uh, in previous conversations with Bert in particular, uh, we've got some opinions as to um, how long that transition period might last. As you've uh, pointed the finger at me, and I'll, I'll, I'll chime in a bit. Um, it's, it's very difficult to work out how long it's going to take the entire industry. I mean, there are going to be laggards, and I wouldn't be surprised if it takes 20 years for the whole industry to move simply because there are different pressures on, on different carriers, both pull and push. And I think what it comes down to is, is how long is it going to take individual carriers to migrate? Uh, how long could I as a carrier expect my migration to take? And what this ultimately comes down to is coupling. You know, it's, it, it comes down to why is change in general difficult in the airline industry? And it's because we're all coupled together in odd ways. Airlines are coupled to each, to each other through alliances. They're coupled to highly constrained operating environments in terms of airports um, and common use equipment and all of these kinds of things. And they're coupled to their own different legacy systems. There are many systems within an airline that consume these old data formats. And so the speed at which you're able to move is really going to be a function of the pull and the push, i.e. what's pushing you away from your constraints or toward the benefits, multiplied by the amount of inertia you have from coupling. So if you are a very complex alliance carrier operating a very broad global network, your level of coupling uh, and therefore the inertia preventing you or slowing down your rate of change is going to be quite high. If you're a small regional point-to-point low-cost carrier, 
then the inertia should be, in theory, much less. And that's really what it what it kind of comes down to. I think what's interesting is how much of this will individual carriers just have to hack through themselves and how much can we develop standards and good patterns and practices to actually grease some of those wheels as an industry. That's a very interesting point I'd like to pick up on. And, and I'm going to turn to Francois here because I know that you've got some pretty strong feelings about the need for industry standards and, and in particular the role of, of IATA that you, you believe should have in helping set those standards? Yes, because nothing disappears. So far, everything is, uh, is still working, like Type B, Edifact. And uh, when you implement a new system, and we, we saw that we need to implement a new system, you need to uh, integrate with the current applications. So far, it has been possible because we were using Edifact, but we were still using Type B. Now we have the XML, all the set of uh, messages which have been defined by, by IATA. It's really helping. Messages, however, some are missing. I think it would be very important to define whatever is needed to, to keep the continuity because we cannot say there is a new system, everybody is going to migrate. As Bert said, uh, you need to migrate piece by piece, and different airlines will have different uh, p- uh, speeds. So if those standards are not defined for integration of the legacy, then providers will develop their own standards, and it will be, a, again, a hell for everybody. So not so many messages to define, huh? but it has to be done. Now for the length, is it 20 years, is it less? If you see the migration of the legacy one to the legacy two, let's say, because there are some companies, huh, Saber, Amadeus, and others, they have redone systems as well. They have taken time. Huh? It's true that the 20 years, if you look, they, are, they have been consumed. Can it be less? I, I, I think because systems are integrated, it's true, but they are already component-driven. So there is a lot of companies have the capacity to to connect to existing components as well. So it will take years. Is it 20? Is it 10? But it will really depend on the availability of the standards. If you have standards, you go much faster, much faster. Okay. Thanks, Francois. Jonathan, I know that you've been involved in documenting the business requirements for the new systems. Does that give you an insight into the into the size of the task of migrating the industry? It has done, yes. Um, it has increased the size of the task ahead of us or the, the, the seeming size of the task ahead of us to near impossible size. It is an enormously complex task for any airline to undertake. The system side is almost easier than the business process changes that will come with the, with the, with the evolution to offer, order, settle, deliver. We must also re, uh, regard each of those components as a separate sub-project. Everybody is going to need to ne- move to new offer, new order, new deliver, and new settle. Those won't all be at the same time. So there will be legacy phases in between where you have offer and order, but legacy delivery, legacy accounting. 
the partnership aspect, both for distribution and for interline co-chair and alliances, adds more complexity. When one migrates a traditional PSS, one simply on the night of migration switches over the PDP and the links to the GDSs and the links to the interline partners. It's all done in about 15 minutes and it's really easy. In this new uh, evolution, everybody's going to have to go one at a time. That's uh, all your distribution channels, all of your partnerships. So some level of coordination between airlines would probably be extremely helpful. So alliances working together to try and coordinate their efforts. Again, it's very difficult. You have to procure the technology. You have to ready your business. It's not something that, that, that one can simply make a decision overnight to do. You have to ready your business. And, and we've seen with, with some of the early customers that we've been talking to, the level of readiness that they're going to need is much bigger than any change they've been through before. And I think it's a, it's a good reflection, actually, given, given that you've been involved in, in lots of PSS migrations, that when you look at this task, probably the most complex migration anyone else has been through historically now seems easy by comparison. It almost, yes, it does. Um, you know, the, the plans that would be developed for a PSS migration were enormously complicated, um, and it took months months and months, about a year, usually for a large carrier to migrate PSS. It's, it can be done a lot quicker for smaller carriers, but this dwarfs, I mean, the move just to, to, to order management dwarfs a PSS migration already. So it's something that airlines really need to think about. I think everybody acknowledges that this change is necessary, that it, that it will have to come at some point. The early adopters, will need to be quite brave because nobody's done this before. It's not like you can rely on the experience of your PSS provider that's done 150 previous migrations, that has everything off pat, that has plans that they can pull off the shelf and adapt. This is all new, requiring invention and cleverness and um, out-of-the-box thinking just to make it across the line for one component and you know, you multiply that by four because you're doing probably four separate migrations. This puts me in mind of, of another conversation that we had a, a little while ago, Bert, that it would be a mistake to think of transition as some sort of temporary irksome hill that you've got to get over. And mm. much more that transition is going to be a permanent part of the landscape for 10 years, 15 years, something like that. Yeah. So people shouldn't think of it as a temporary inconvenience, but as, as a fundamental part of their systems. It's not a cutover, and I think Jonathan makes a good point about that, um, that there will be transitional states and that those transitional states should be regarded as semi-permanence. You don't want to leave yourself balancing on one foot for any, any length of time. You know, if you just think about just changing your just the order management component the point is that you know if you're going to change to order order management you've either got to use old revenue accounting to account for your orders or move to new order accounting at the same time but for a period of several months maybe 10 11 12 months 
you're going to be accounting for orders and old PNRs as well. And so even with the slickest and best managed cutover, you are going to be running a dual mid and back office against those two systems um, uh, for, for some time. Transition has to be thought of as a journey rather than an event, and it could be a long journey. And Bert, when, when you think of it, I agree with what uh, Jonathan said, but this complexity, similar complexity, I have met it twice. First time when uh, I was in Amadeus, we, we did a system user. And when you look at system user, we had to connect all those systems. We have to keep the legacy one, let's say. We had to use a downstream system of the airlines. We... Uh, their inventories are this year, so we have to have imagination huh, to, uh, because the system user was also uh, uh, extremely uh, complex and very different practice. And then to have what you see today, which is easy, the full PSS migration, it took uh, many, many decades to integrate uh, DCS in the PSS, to integrate inventory, etc., and the automation that has been done to have quick migration, I can tell you, it has taken a lot of imagination, time and effort. So when I, I see the discussion we had on this new platform, we, we have problem again, good problems, I think. I think problem as usual, and it means a lot of work. So people have not to believe that technology will solve uh, and everything will be quick. It will be slow, as you say, and, and, and as before, it will require for a while uh, until the platform is finished, this progressive integration, this progressive migration uh, of components and therefore messaging. And that's where we need to, to, to have this effort we discussed uh, just before of trying to facilitate this, uh, this uh, progressive uh, migration. And then it will take time, as it took time before. Yes, because it's very large. Customers regularly talk to us about, you know, how do we how do we estimate the amount of time it's going to take to do a PSS migration? And in PSS migration, what we tend to say is there are two long poles in the tent. One is the integration, and the other is the training. So if you think of training as business change, I you're not just training, retraining all your people on a new system. You're going to have to retrain them on a whole new set of completely unfamiliar business processes. And then the integration is you're not just taking one system and reintegrating it with another. You're taking several systems, many of whom have never been integrated before using standards that have only recently been defined. So your training is an order of magnitude more complicated and your integration is an order of magnitude more complicated. And that's the scale, you know, when Jonathan says, you know, this is the most complex and thing that, that, that any airline will ever have been through. Um, I mean, that is why it's those two things. It's business change and integration. Um, and it does, when you think about it, it makes the system bit uh, look relatively trivial. I think what, what adds the complexity is this lengthy need to retain many legacy data integrations with downstream systems and partners and distribution. Francois' analogy to system user is an excellent one to the Amadeus system user concept. It required extensive synchronization between the new reservations environment and the legacy 
PSS inventory and departure control. There are going to be people listening who may not know what system user is. Um, in, a, in a nutshell, can you explain? All right, in a nutshell, system user was where airlines adopted the Amadez reservations and ticketing platform, but retained their own inventory and departure control systems, which included a copy PNR in the leg in the old reservation system that was synchronous, was kept synchronous with the Amadeus PNR. Um, and so it's a little bit like an, a box on top order management solution in that the synchronization between the two is absolutely essential. This significant chunk of the transition requirements relates to this transition capability, the ability to convert orders into legacy PNRs, tickets and EMDs, and vice versa, so that you have a copy of each order and a copy of each PNR ticket and EMD in the other system, so that you have the ability to service customers in any channel, you have the ability to, to migrate systems to the order management system data feeds, for example, because you have the full set of booking data in the order management system when you choose to migrate that particular feed. It means that the providers of these, uh, certainly the order management systems, will need to have ideas, thoughts, and creativity around building this legacy integration. It's more complicated than you would hope. It, 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 it is really far too complicated than it needs to be. And, and another big requirement in all of this is that the incumbent provider of the legacy environment is going to have to participate to some extent in making all this happen. And if an airline has decided to go and buy its new technology from a new provider, they will need to think about how you provide an incentive for the old provider to continue helping the process along, which they may not feel very inclined to do. But nevertheless, without some measure of cooperation from, from the legacy provider, the thing is just not going to get going. I mean, the good news for our listeners today, though, is, you know, as Jonathan and Francois pointed out, we've got two people on this on this podcast who've probably done the closest thing to a move uh, to, to offer an order. What are going to be the things that really make the difference? I think Francois already called out standards and the completeness of standards. There still feels like there's gaps in some of these standards. Where are the other kind of lifesavers going to come in this? Is it is it patterns and practices? Is it architecture? Is it business change management? What, what's really going to grease the wheels? It will be a combination of all those things you describe. I think the sooner the providers are able to establish patterns of behavior for these migrations, for the, the, the startup of an order management system, for example, and have plans in place and risk assessment in place and risk mitigation in place, um, which they've had for PSS migrations for donkey's years. They just need to build up the same skill set again. It's a different skill set. The projects are going to last a lot longer. They're not aiming at a knife edge cutover where all frenetic activity happens within a 24-hour period, which is happening today, by the way, for Hawaiian Airlines. So good luck to everybody at Hawaiian. So patterns and practices, absolutely. The business process change. And there is huge scope for consultant uh, entities like T2RL and many, many others to work on these business process changes, what to look out for, 
what will be changing, what you will not be doing anymore, what you will have to start doing, all of those things. Again, experience will tell. The providers that get in early and, and, and have the experience, especially with the early adopters, will have a, an edge over the people still waiting to, to undertake their first implementation. A lot of these big migrations, I mean, very few airlines can do a PSS migration, for instance, just off the side of their desks. I mean, they, they, they will tend to go out and find an experienced systems integrator to help them. And there are one or two, you know, who, who offer kind of turnkey solutions these days because PSS migration for them, for instance, has become enough of a well-understood pattern that they can, they can turn it into a repeatable process for, for, for customers. Um, so we're going to need to write a new cookbook. We're going to need a new set of recipes here. It is going to be a little bit more unique per airline than mm. regular PSS migrations uh, have been in before because of the what is the state of your offer environment? What is the state of your delivery environment? Because you're not doing everything at once. I mean, theoretically, you could do offer order delivery together if you wanted. I don't think anybody's looking at that right now. I think, again, in future where, where we get better at these and where, for example, the new order-based delivery systems are ready, when that is in place, implementing the two together should not present such an enormous challenge, except for the addition of the airport rollout. I mean, it's, it's actually better, it tends to be better to do DCS at the same time than to wait. When you said that it would require training, uh, new practices, it's true. But the fact that at the start, you will migrate component by component, you will continue to use the legacy, let's say limit the change to a cert certain number of people in the airline, of course, but not to all the departments. And we have known this before because when you do progressive migration, then, okay, you impact the delivery, but the current delivery is still the same system for a while. Uh, inventory, people are still working, etc. So it would be good to estimate how many people are impacted uh, and the level of impact. Uh, of course, there is training, but the fact that you keep the continuity, it allows to migrate per channel and then to introduce this training progressively. Of course, when every components are ready, you are back to having practices, but you can automate. But it's true that even if you automate for airlines, it takes from one year to, for some of them, four or five, and depending on, on their braveness. <laughs> doesn't take one week to, to migrate today. Huh? But on, on the training, even if it's true, it's, I, I'm not yet frightened by this. I think you're right in that, unlike a PSS migration, for order management implementation, it can go channel by channel. So you can do your websites first and then you could do one call center, then the second call center. It can be as gradual as you want it to be. You are not forced through a knife edge. The gradual, the gradual migration brings us back to this issue that these transitional states are going to run for mm -hmm. a long time. And the more gradual you make it, the more variation in mix that, that you have. And I'd like to uh, pick up on, on that a little bit. As, as I see it, if we leave aside the possibility of a very small, low-cost carrier that doesn't really talk to anyone else, 
who could conceivably do a knife edge cutover. But leave those to one side for the moment. For the majority of airlines, they're either going to be procuring their new technology from an existing PSS provider or from someone who is new to the business. And the, the scenarios are different in each case. I would throw in a third category, which is somebody who has experience in an adjacent area of the business, i.e. they have the domain knowledge, but not the technology. Yeah, okay, I, I, I fully accept that. And, and in, in the way I'm thinking at the moment, that would be broadly in the second category. They don't have a PSS. So the vendor who's got a PSS has much more control and is able to manage the transition and the cooperation that's needed from the legacy system. The vendor who doesn't have a PSS, I think, has potentially an even harder task because they're going to have to manage those interfaces to legacy and that gradual transition from legacy when they don't actually control the legacy environment. If you've got a vendor, for instance, who today operates something akin to an order management system and is used to having to integrate with legacy airline systems, PSSs, revenue accounting, whatever that might be, then that gives them sort of half a foot in the door in, in that regard. But a lot of this does is going to come down to, to domain knowledge. And I think it also then also brings us back to this whole issue of the availability of standards. I'd like to go back and ask Francois about that, because that always rings alarm bells for me, as if we're saying... You know, are we are we waiting for standards? Where are the standards going to come from? Are there holes in the existing standards? That alarms me a bit, Francois. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? You know, IATA in the past was very powerful with standards because uh, airlines have their own systems. They were interlining, cooperating between uh, each other. They were not implementing uh, bilateral standards, so they were all going to IATA. I was in those groups uh, in my past. And whatever was needed was put on the table and, uh, and solved uh, without politics. And um, what happened is that when uh, big GDS were created by airlines, huh? uh, Sabre by Americans and uh, system user uh, Amadeus was uh, also created by European Airlines, Galileo as well, then all the people working with IATA, they disappeared. They work for those guys, and then no more standards. Uh, so XML uh, has appeared again, so it's good. But the level of involvement, because everybody is waiting for yata, 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 without really more involvement, like in the past from some airlines, huh? you don't need all, uh, all the airlines, but you need, you need some, then things are uh, progressing slowly. And of course, even if you have the participation now uh, active huh, of, uh, of big one, big PSS, huh, they, they control a bit the speed. So they cooperate where they see their interest, but they are not going to cooperate where they don't see their interest, and it's normal, unless they are pushed by the airlines. Then maybe a phase where airlines and IATA meet and they say, we would need this to facilitate, would be good because it would encourage the big guys to cooperate because uh, when you are in the industry, you cannot say no to standards. So I think, I think that terms of reference of this NDC project should be maybe reviewed. 
how airlines work in cooperation and, and make it happen uh, should be reviewed. Then how many airlines you need to really be active? You don't need, you know, there is not an infinity of solution. You need maybe three, maybe four, maybe five. You don't need 10 or 20. Let me ask you this, Francois. We, we, we've talked about the, the entire industry is about to enter a prolonged period of transition. Let's call it that. And we're used to having standards in steady state. But there are no standards for transition because transition is generally thought of as a temporary state between standards. But this, this is going to be quite a drawn out and protracted period of transition. Do we need some transitional standards? Some straightforward things like mappings from the old formats to the new, rather than each vendor and each airline having to work out how do I convert A into B? Could we have a standard for that? I mean, is that is that going to help us? But it is because when you say integration, the main one is PNR to order. Yes. So how you map an order to a PNR, how you map a booking class to a product ID. It's work, but that's the main one. The first one is how to create order from PNR. Uh, how do you integrate PNR, uh, create PNR from order? Is a is a is a big one. Uh, is the first one, and vice versa. And, and vice versa. So it's a is the first one to do. Like uh, we were talking about this system user. System user was all about. I create a PNR in uh, in the system user partition. How do you uh, do? I inform the suppliers of uh, what I have sold so that they can deliver uh, to the DCS, deliver to the inventory, etc. So, but this discussion must occur with few airlines, huh? with participation of uh, the big PSS, and it all starts with this uh, interoperability yeah. uh, between order and, and PNR to allow the transition. And it's not it's not so many messages. Huh? It's more mapping yes. than uh, than messages uh, type. Huh? On on the mapping of PNRs to orders, there are some big decisions I think to take. Mm-hmm. What do you do on the PNR side when there is no equivalent in the PNR world to some of the stuff that's in the order, and and maybe there will be some examples vice versa as well. I think this is where not just message standards, but also recommended practices are put forward by the industry to say, this is what you should do with a PNR that has been created from an order, and this is what you probably shouldn't do. Or these are the actions that you should avoid taking on a PNR that contains order items that are not deliverable by your legacy systems or something. Just some broad standards that the airlines agree amongst themselves to say, in our supplier-retailer relationships, this is what we will want to allow, and this is probably what we would like to forbid or prevent from happening, to reduce the complexity without applying significant limits on what they can do, but just try to avoid X, Y, or Z, because we don't want to have to rebuild our legacy environments to support that. So let's try and keep it simple or not add massive development requirements to the legacy environment in order to be able to work. Yeah, or we accept that it's going to be complex, but let's, for God's sake, just have one lot of complexity. Not go crazy. And of course, historically, IATA has worked with recommended practices and and there are whole manuals for them. And 
it seems sensible that that's a direction that IATA should be trying to take now. I think IATA's challenge is that they have to basically reinvent a wheel that took them 50 years to build into... Well, in a way, that's the whole industry's challenge, isn't it? That, well, yes, but IATA's mostly because the last 50 years, you know, IATA have governed the process, they've managed it very well, they've, they've involved everybody that needed to be involved, they've developed the messaging for the edge cases and the weird things that airlines want to do in revenue management and things. So they've had their hand on the tiller for all of that. And it's been a steady influence. It, it, it has created standards, which, is, which has been essential for GDSs. For GDSs could not exist without those standards. Yeah, what we want is standards for hybrid environments. So it's thinking, thinking about something like a DCS and going, if I'm operating a legacy DCS, but I am processing both orders and PNRs, what is the recommended practice? Can we can we try and standardize that? I mean, if, if I was a ground handler, for instance, I would want to know that somebody was thinking about this because if I'm servicing lots and lots of different carriers, I've already got this problem. And so, you know, w- what are the, the recommended practices for order fulfillment when you're operating hybrid environments? Because standards for homogenous environments are relatively straightforward. It's when I've got to deal with, you know, six of one and half a dozen of the other. And, and knowing where things that you could do into a legacy PNR are no longer supported because you're working on an order now. Yeah. What does IATSE look like between an order-based carrier and a non-order-based carrier? An order-based carrier, carrier. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the one order business requirements document that was originally written about seven or eight years ago now is pretty forthright in that it says that all the communication between the two systems should go between their order management systems and their two delivery systems shouldn't talk directly to each other at all. I think we need to revisit that in the light of practicality and lived experience. It's a, it's a good recommendation. It's a bit like no sailor shall visit a bar during shore leave. It's a good recommendation. And this is the trouble. I think the industry made some broad sweeping pronouncements about how things should work before they had actually settled down to design the integration between these boxes. Looking at the business requirements now, some of them don't seem as practical as they appeared three or four years ago. Um, Things like what can a supplier do to a retailer's order when servicing their own customer and what sorts of limits should the retailer be allowed to impose upon that order to say the supplier you cannot touch that because i made that offer i'm responsible the contract is with me i don't want you touching it whereas the supplier saying well this is my customer he's standing literally in front of me and he wants to buy something from me he wants to change what he has am i going to say no because that takes us back 20, 30 years ago when you couldn't service an interline order because there was no sin, you couldn't do it. You know, these are, these are thoughts that the industry needs to have now to say, well, do we need to change what we recommended as a practice three or four years ago? Yeah, I mean, I think we're very close to breaking ground on, on actual implementations at this point. You know, writing the business requirements, we don't want to build in restrictions. We don't want to build in artificial limitations just because the the, the, the industry has, has issued a decree from its ivory tower that 
this is what will happen and this is what will not happen. The airlines have business interests that they want to protect. They want to deliver customer service. And if they feel they're being constrained by these recommendations, they they will work against them. They will go against them. I think the, the whole industry has to accept that as we move to real practical implementations of some of these things, it will become clear that some of the expectations from five or six or seven years ago were not really justified. And, and there will be some new requirements emerge. And mm. everyone who's involved, whether it's the airline or the technology provider in, in implementing these new systems, has to accept from the get-go that they will need flexibility. And there will be some needs to revise things fairly quickly when, when they're put into practice and found maybe a little wanting. I think that is especially true for the transition period, where people are learning and where different airlines with different levels of cooperation and different levels of partnership, joint ventures and things, where they don't feel the need to be constrained by what the standards might have said, because they want to work together. They want to have uh, much closer relationships, and that means the ability to service retailers' orders. Because the thing is, this is a capability that they have now. And losing capabilities that you have now is, is, is a bit of a no-no when you're moving to a new set of technology. And let's face it, if you lose capabilities you have now, you're going to meet great consumer resistance. But, you, you know, in, uh, in many systems, you cannot modify everywhere, even the PNR, which means that use case of res, you need the res application. And with the technology, with HTML integration, you can... You can have in DCS or REST application and you can service the PNR from the native application. DCS today, they just do uh, DCS things. They are just allowed to do the DCS uh, delivery. They may have some actions, but much less than, than before when systems were more independent than today. So there must be practices. Huh? You, you have to review this order uh, to PNR uh, integration in, in the interim. And who can do what? It has, to, it has to be clear who can do what. But, but already today, it's, it's less uh, freaky than uh, it was in the past. But I think what, what the providers today have achieved is a level of transparency between delivery and reservations, where delivery users can take what are reservations actions, same-day travel changes, same-day upgrades, flow forward, that is actually done in the reservations environment, but it, for the user, it appears completely transparent. So the, the layer between offer and order and delivery, where the users are actually taking their actions, should render these things as transparent as it can. One, one, of, the things, one of the things we haven't talked about is, and, and I know we, we touched on this in, in a previous podcast, is that, that we're going to have airlines who adopt different strategies for, for migration, different architectural strategies. So you're going to have some who basically have an order management system, for instance, that is pretending that there are traditional data formats available. So, so it's, it's doing real-time translation back. And then you're going to have 
and a lot of airlines probably who are running an order management system integrated with alongside a PSS of some kind, and they're doing some kind of bidirectional or unidirectional sync between orders and PNRs. Are the migration challenges for those types of for those two different pathways going to be significantly different? Yes, I think they are. Um, those that are operating alongside a legacy PSS will rely entirely on the legacy PSS to keep doing what it's doing now. So that is feeding delivery, feeding revenue accounting, feeding revenue management. And as the order channels start to take over, there will be a priority to start moving the data feeds to those downstream systems to come from the order management system, but that can be done as slowly as you like. Whereas if you are pretending to be a legacy PSS, you have to just keep doing that the entire time. And you have to build all of that from scratch. And that is quite complicated. That is a lot of extra build that you have to do because you don't have a legacy PSS to do it for you. And so so in, in the second model we talked about, basically we start off with a PSS doing the lion's share of the work and the order management system coming in and starting to take over. And then the role of the PSS gets smaller and smaller and smaller until really it's just a glorified translator. That's right. It's a feed box. Yeah. yeah. And once all your channels and all your partnerships and all your distribution have moved to order, which admittedly may take a really long time, then yes, the PSS is really there only to feed downstream systems. And that should not be the case. You should probably prioritize the move of the or, or, or the removal of dependency on the PSS from downstream systems, make that go away quicker. And then your only holdup is your is your partnerships. Yeah. And in, in that model, it sounds like it might be sort of slightly easier earlier on, but as time goes by and to a greater and greater extent, the carrier is trying to leverage all of the rich new capabilities of order management, the synchronization between the translator and the order management system may get harder and harder because the, the kinds of things you're now doing are getting harder and harder to translate backward into the old world. That's right. So, and not not to forget the cost of running yeah. this legacy yeah. PSS effectively parallel system for ten years or whatever it turns out to be is going to be significant. So, providers that don't rely on the presence of a legacy PSS to be able to support legacy practices and legacy integrations will have a commercial advantage. And those that rely on the presence of a legacy PSS will have to make some commercial gesture towards mitigating the cost of keeping that in place, potentially. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, I'd just like to throw one question in. Based on experience a generation ago with the move to e-ticketing, at that time, a lot of airlines just stuck their heads in the sand and hoped it would all go away until the time came in 2007, 2008, when IATA stopped issuing paper stock and the big airlines said, we're not going to interline with you anymore, and so on and so on. And I think that there will be quite a large number of airlines that follow a similar pattern now. They either decide to do nothing or just don't even think about it. My, my question really is, do we envisage a time in five years, seven years' time when those laggard airlines will have the option of just going to a vendor and saying, okay, 
I'm ready now. Give me your plug and play solution that will take me straight into the new world. Is that ever going to happen or is it always going to be a long and difficult and challenging process? I think over time, the migration will get easier. You know, we, we will end up with known repeatable things. Migration from system A to system B is a known thing. Somebody went ahead of you, found all the bear traps, uh, and that's now an, uh, uh, a known process. Will it ever become a turnkey solution? You know, as simple, as Jonathan put it, as a straightforward PSS migration? No, <laughs> because however simple you make the systems migration, the business change management is always going to bite you in the end. Um, what I think, and, and you alluded to this, Ian, is that the pressure to move will get higher and higher. I don't want to lose my interline and co-chair partners. I don't want to lose my commercial opportunity. And that the pressure will grow and the friction will reduce to the point where each airline gets to its point of equilibrium and says, okay, I'm, I am ready to go. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think intuitively, I think that's absolutely right. And, and then the question becomes, you know, when will that point be reached? And of course, the answer will be different for every airline. But it's true that you need the legacy for the co-chair and the interlining. Huh? The rest, we said, okay, you can uh, connect at some point the order to the external system, even to the DCS. Huh? So things can, uh, interfaces can progressively move to, to from order. But you, and then you will keep the legacy mostly for those uh, use cases, huh? uh, co-chair and, uh, and, and that's why maybe accelerating uh, the, the discussion around co-chair interlining which have not been a very quick discussion huh, so far, are, are, are very important because they are the sticky points, those two. Yeah. Eventually, Interline will move into the new world and, and we will have Interline using the supplier-retailer agreements and so on and so on. There is a question about whether co-chair will continue in, indefinitely, whether yeah. we will actually need to do co-chair in the new world. Well, I mean, since it was a, simply a tool to fool availability displays back in the 70s and 80s, Absolutely. now that we're in full offer mode, it's irrelevant. It just doesn't matter anymore. You're not, who are you fooling? Nobody. But somebody has to, to say it and, and the airlines have to accept it. Huh? Jonathan has said it. They're not, <laughs> not fooling anyone anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I have decreed. Yes. Now, I think I ought to have, are making moves. They publish papers around basically getting rid of code share as no longer needed. And we now have the new retailer supplier uh, interland agreement. And I'm sure they'll follow up with transition standards to help all those airlines doing code share move into the new Absolutely. world. Absolutely. <laughs> and we're all going to move happily into, into the new world together. I think it's probably time to, uh, to wrap up this conversation. It's been quite enjoyable and quite illuminating. So I'd like to thank Francois, I'd like to thank Bert and Jonathan, and I'd like to thank you for listening. And just a reminder that uh, for T2RL subscribers, you can get a summary of some of the issues we've been talking about in our new report, Transition is Everything, which will be published within the next few days. So thank you very much for your attention, and we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you all. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.